Good to see you here this morning. Let's pray. Father, Father, what an extraordinary privilege we have. To be able to fellowship with the God of glory. To be able, Father, to know you. To be known by you. Father, to be able to hear you. As you speak to us by the Holy Spirit, because of the redemption that is in Christ. And you speak about yourself. The great God, three in one. Father, what a privilege. Would you cause us to not only understand, but to experience and appreciate this most gracious and awesome gift of grace. Knowing you, being known by you, being instructed by you. Father, we would pray that this extraordinary privilege would capture the hearts and minds of so many more in this church. That this class would be overflowing with those who want to know you more. Want to experience you in a much greater way. Father, we would ask you to do that by the ministry of your spirit. So, Father, this morning, thank you for being here. Thank you for speaking to us. And thank you for giving us the ability to not only hear, but to understand your word. That continues to transform us conforming us into the image of your dear son. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. Well, this morning, <clears throat> I, and I'll listen to the word I'm going to say. I plan to talk about three attributes of God. You know, you know already by now that Matt and I are participating together in the teaching of the school of the word. This is the school of the word. But in this particular season of lessons, we're emphasizing a systematic study of the person of God. This shouldn't be unusual to you because we've been doing systematic studies in this class for years. We're just now letting you know that what we've been doing is systematic theology. And so it should be very familiar with to you. And so Matt and I are sharing this. And as I 
talk to Matt even right now. I'm moving on, Matt, not on my notes yet. You see what's happening. Feel constricted around your throat, you know, like, oh, my word, this old bat's not going to finish. But I want you to understand what we're doing because I think it's important for us not only to hear a teacher, but to understand what's behind the curtain. We're right now, obviously, beginning to talk about more of the attributes of God. We've already talked about one. What was that one? The aseity of God. This being who always is. And as we do this, Matt and I discuss with one another. We meet together. And we share, okay, I believe the Lord is leading me to teach this this Sunday. What about you for next Sunday? Well, and, and we discuss how we feel the Holy Spirit is leading us. It's not just an automatic, okay, I do one, you do one, whatever. It's not a mechanical thing. It's a living relationship with the Spirit of God as he is ministering to us and leading us and instructing us so that through us we may be able to instruct you according to his particular purpose that particular morning. Amen? So we will plan to do certain amounts of information. But as they say, that don't mean nothing sometimes. So let's talk about the next three attributes of God. And I think you have notes this morning. Yeah, okay. So what are they? The omnipresence, the omni. Which is it? I don't know the order. Omnipotent and omniscient. Those are the next three. Now, as we proceed to talk about each one of these, I don't have this in your notes, but I want you to write down this scripture. I want you to write down Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Why? Because what we're going to be talking about, we've already started it last week. I just forgot to give you this verse last week. When we talk about this, we are delving into the most inexplicable, unexplainable issue about the being of God. All of this is impossible to really grasp and understand with our finite minds. And when we talk about any one of these attributes, what happens is all kinds of questions come up. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? And there may be some answers that the Lord gives to us. But there's also the great probability that the answer will be, I don't know. And so when we look at these attributes, let's do this. Let's look at them within the context of Deuteronomy 29, 29. What does that verse say? Something. Somebody give me an idea of what it says. The secret or the hidden things belong to the Lord. In other words, there's stuff he's not telling us. 
And if he doesn't tell us, what should we do? Accept it, trust him, and move along. Amen? So there's a whole lot of stuff you're not going to get as we go through this. As we go through beginning this morning of these three attributes, let's remember this. God is an assay being. You remember that from last week? Assay in or of himself, which means what? Now ponder this for a moment. Think a second. Everybody thinking? I want to get your minds on this. Think. Before there was one molecule, God existed. Before there was even time, God is. In fact, when we read the word eternal God, it is, if you would, understanding the aseity of God, it's really a misnomer, isn't it? Because in God, there is no time. Remember the Excedrin headaches? It's not that God in himself has always been. It is that he is. The always and when and will be and forevers and eternity and all that is created by God for our benefit. And so when we read about these attributes, we must remember that as God has always been, he is. Each one of these attributes is equally an assay attribute. We got that? And that all of his attributes, each one of these three omnis this morning and the others that we'll get to, each one of these function in perfect unity in the person of God. Remember, we discussed that last week. If you weren't here last week, let me please ask you to listen to the, what do you call this, uh, the tape or the uh, whatever they call it. Go online and listen to it last week because you need to understand some of the basics about the attributes of God as they exist in God. So let's talk about the omnipresence of God. What does the word omni mean? All. Very simple, all. So when we talk about the omnipresence of God, we mean this, that God is omnipresent, that God is immediately and fully present everywhere all the time so how much of God is with us right now all of God is with us right now well but how much of God is present in the Baptist church over there I don't somebody say none of God <laughs> some of you people who don't like the Baptist don't say no he ain't there I can tell you that or, let me ask you a challenging question. We know and believe theologically that all of God that exists, totally, completely, God is fully, absolutely, comprehensively present with us every moment. Do we believe that? How much of God is in the Catholic Church over there? 
But you see how my minds go? How many of you, come on, it's okay. How many of you hesitated for a moment like, I, I wonder? Come on, come on. We can, we, can, we can confess things. Because how much of God is with the Buddhist temple over there? Where is God not? Hmm? Nowhere. Where is God? Everywhere. And how much of God is everywhere? And how often is God everywhere? So you see, what that says is, is there any place that we can go? Is there any place that we can hide? Is there anything that I can do? Is there any thought that I can have? Any desire? Anything at all that I can do and God is not fully, continually, and completely present with me? Listen to this from Psalms. 139, 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Now, that's a rhetorical question, which means what? The answer is obvious. What's the answer? Nowhere. Or where can I flee from your presence? Where can we flee? If I go up to heaven, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale in, into the underworld, behold, you are there. Now, we read that, and we say, okay, that, that's fine. But when did, the, when did King David write this? A long time ago. Somewhere around, what are you, over 3,000 years ago? Now, that was back in what we would call an era where their belief system was in polytheism. What does that mean? Many gods. Was there any concept in those days of, and let me put it this way, eternity? Was there any concept of infinity never stopping? Was there? No. Was there any concept that your deity, your God, existed everywhere simultaneously, completely. Was there any concept? Yes or no? No. But when you read in the Hebrew Scriptures, this kind of a statement about the Jewish deity, Yahweh, when we read it, Lloyd, we take it, oh, yeah, okay, I, I believe that. But when it is first penned, it is absolutely unbelievably missing from everybody's theology. So the question is this. We believe in the, in the omnipresence of God, at least theologically. If this wasn't a concept or a theology in those days, where did this man David get this from? 
Could he have dreamed it up and made it up in his own mind and put it together? Could this have been his personal theology? Could it have been? You see, because it is impossible for a human being to come up with a theology or a philosophy or a theory that is incomprehensible. Can't do it. The other thing, too, is that made this God of Israel absolutely unique in all ways, but especially in one way, as far as these people are concerned. When you look at the Babylonians, they have their gods. You look at the Assyrians, they have their gods. You look at the Egyptians, they have what? Their gods. Did you catch what I said? What did I say? They have what? Their gods. And their gods were gods of their territory. They were, terri- they were territorial gods. So you see, what you did when you conquered a nation, you took their gods over. I mean, that was the biggest defeat. They've taken our gods. But when it comes to Israel's God, he is not the God of Israel only, but he is the God of the entire cosmos. He is everywhere, always present, comprehensively, and he is immediately present, which means that the next time any of us feel that the presence of God is not with us. How many of you have felt a decline in the presence of God? Come on, how many of you said, where's God? Come on, all of it. Come on, have you ever said, where's God in this? Where, where, where's anybody in here? Just a few of you? All of us have. Cody, have you? Oh, yes, you have. Tommy, have you? John, have you? We all have. Keith, have you? Yes, we all have. And we struggle with that when things are going wrong. And our question is what? Where's God? The problem is we don't feel him. But what's the answer to that? Daryl, he is with you as much at this moment as he ever has been and he ever will be. Amen? He has never diminished his presence with us. The presence of God cannot be diminished. If it can, then God's omnipresence is not part of his attributes because God himself is constant. And so his omnipresence is with us no matter what is going on, no matter what we think or feel. This is important. Because what we go through in life is very much the opportunity of Satan to cause us to think differently about God and to question his own nature, thus undermining our faith. So the next time you feel, where is God? What's going on? Where is he? Johnny, where is he? Where's God? Everywhere.
Flo, where is God? He's with you as much this moment as he is with you. Listen to this. How many of us have gone through seasons of sinful activity that we were battling sometimes successfully and sometimes not successfully? How many of us have gone through these seasons? Where was God? Where was he? He was there right in the thick of things. Right in the thick of things. Why do I emphasize this? Because we are too prone normally through normal ways of considering things about God. Depending upon our circumstances and our feelings and what's being said and how it's being whatever and all of that. So for God to be God. He has to be omnipresent. Can we agree with that this morning? If there is any diminution, you know what the word diminution means? What? Diminishing. If there's any diminution at all, even to the very slightest degree, then God cannot be God. If Anna Chatelaine is experiencing more of the presence of God than Gail is experiencing, does, in fact, Gail have less of the presence of God than Anna? No, it's just an experience. So there may be times when Anna Chatelaine is experiencing the presence of God in a very personal way. And there may be times when some of you are not. But is God as present? Is he? Are you with me this morning? Okay, great. I think I have some other verses in there. I think that you can probably read on your own. Genesis, the Lord tells Abraham, I'm going, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Matthew, remember the great promise of Jesus? And behold, I am with you always. Just that promise should be indicative to us that this is God man saying this. And especially Hebrews 13, 5 and 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's look at the omniscience of God before I look at the power of God. I'd rather wait to the power. <clears throat> omniscience of God. What does omniscience mean? All knowing. To say that God is omniscient is to say that God's knowledge of all things, all actual things, now listen to this, and all potential things. What do I mean? God knows that if I'm, wa I'm walking down this path, he knows exactly every aspect of my walk down this path. Correct? He knows everything that's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, etc. But he knows more than that. He knows that, Diana, if I go off the path this way to another path, he also knows completely what would be on that path for me. Even though I may not be walking it, he knows everything that could potentially be on this other path. 
God has absolute comprehensive knowledge of everything, everywhere, all the time. He's omniscient. Is there anything beyond the knowledge of God? So, this is the reason I wanted to say this one next, in case I didn't get finished today. God's knowledge encompasses all time and all events. So, before Genesis 1-1, before Genesis 1-1, what exists? God. Before Genesis 1-1, Remember Ephesians 1, 4, before the foundation of the world? What exists of the material cosmos? Hmm? Nathan, what exists? Nothing. Carly, what exists? Nothing. Nothing's there. And I can't say at that time, how do I say this? Locked into words that fail when it comes to the person of God. So we have to give one another grace. But before God creates, in Genesis 1-1, think about this. He is as omniscient as he ever will be. Because his omniscience is total and doesn't vary. So what did God know, Liz, before Genesis 1-1? I like that answer. Everything. What did God know when he created Adam and Eve? What did he know? That they would sin. What else did God know? That his purpose in creating Adam and Eve. Would prevail. He knew that no attack against his purpose. Would cause his purpose in any way. Any degree at all. To miss its mark. Did you hear me? Did you just hear me? He knows absolutely everything about his purpose. He knows what it is, how it is, when it is, who's going to be, whatever. He knew before Genesis 1-1 that in creating Humanity for the purpose of being his image bearers, so that in this race of people, the glory of his own son would be manifested in these people. He knew that. But what else did he know? That they would sin and rebel. And when God creates in Genesis 1-1, he does it knowing that the cost to himself in creating 
is the death of his own son. Do we get that? He knows it ahead of time. He knows it all the time. That in order to create, God knew absolutely every aspect that this creation will be at the greatest cost to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He knew every aspect. And yet he did it anyway. Why? Because in him was this great desire to display the glory of his loving grace in a people who would rebel against him through the sacrificial life, death, and then the glorious victory of the resurrection of his own son. See, sometimes when we read the Bible, we're not doing it within the context of remembering who God is. One more thing. How many of you in here, listen to the way I'm saying it, consider yourselves to be believers? No, you don't? You don't? You can raise your hand on that. How many of us consider ourselves to be believers? It's okay. I'm not going to come whack you. That's not my job to determine whether you're a believer. Okay, all of us are believers. The wonderful thing about the knowledge of God is this. That when God saved us, he placed on Jesus every sin he knew about in me and in you. Come on, you can say amen. This is about, this is glorious. Every sin that he knew about me, and how many sins did he know about me, Joe? Every one of them. That means not just past sins. Therefore, my sin nature, what do you call original sin is paid for, but I have to start dealing with the present sin. That's foolishness. It's foolishness. Every sin that my God knew about me. Charles, you got that? Everything about your miserable, sinful, disobedient life. And you too, Warren. I saw you smile. <laughs> Everything about this corrupt person standing here. And everything he knew... He placed on the shoulder of his son, Patsy. And when Jesus says in John 19, 30, it is paid for. It is finished. How much was paid for? Everything that God knew. Do you see it? You see, because if you don't see it that way, you may think, oh, I just sinned. I wonder, I wonder if this one God didn't know about. Now, that brings up all kinds of questions, doesn't it? Now, here's the clincher. Because I know how it is. I'm a human being, believe it or not. 
when we sin, how many of us continue to sin? More hands went up on that one than the salvation one. <laughs> We're going to have to have an altar call in this class, honey child. When we sin, not if, when we sin, what's one of the thoughts that go through our minds? What about God? What about forgiveness? You see, Maria, you did it 15 times yesterday and you did it this morning another time. How much can you do and God will no longer forgive you? How much can you say that, think that, want that, whatever, and God won't forgive you? Are you, are you with me this morning? Come on, you can say yes. How much? Everything that God knew about. That's how much, purple. That's how much. It's okay. How much will God forgive you? Because you see, forgiveness is not an activity of God that occurs when you sin. Forgiveness of God has to do with his knowledge of every aspect of us. And when he says forgiven through the cross, the blood of Jesus, it is applied to everything that God knows about me. Right, Gail? Everything. So how forgiven are we in Christ? Fully, finally, and forever. You may write those three, three things down if you want to. I say them all the time. How much forgiveness, Mike? Fully, finally, and forever. That's a whole lot of forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. When God saved you, I'll give you the example. Years ago, I'm printing in the print shop. We own a printing company. That's a printing press. And I'm standing in the room watching the paper go through, get printed. And the thought comes in my mind, Tony, the Lord says to me, isn't it wonderful how much I forgave you of? <gasps> then the thought comes in my mind. Isn't it wonderful that when I saved you, I knew how many times you would be sinning and I still did it. Are you with me this morning? How many times... Have we sinned since we were saved? Can anybody number them? Anybody at all? And yet before God saved you, Stephen, he knew how many times you would say no to him. And yet, Ashley, he still saved you. What kind of a God is this? Oh, you hear me? What kind of a God is this? Claudia, what kind of a God is it? Rosa, what kind of a God? Pat, what kind of a God is this? What kind of a God is he? God is omnipresent. 
and he's omniscient. So how many of us can say, thank you for being omnipresent and thank you for being omniscient. And just those two of several more that are coming should give us a greater stability, assurance in our walk with God. Amen? So the next time I sin and I say about God's forgiveness, what if? What's wrong with that, Mike? I forget that God is omniscient and omnipresent. And is he? No. No. Next week we'll continue.